Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, this is a special edition of the Naked Gaming Podcast. It's Chris Barrow here. Hello, it's me, Lee Milner. It's an exciting episode today. We're focusing on games that are published by Slug Disco, who are an independent game studio. Yes, it's great to be sponsored by our friends there today, so thanks very much. They have three games that we're going to look at in this podcast. First up, it's Ecosystem, which is a game where you kind of simulate evolution. It's like natural selection, but underwater and it's just been released. The idea is that if you take a bunch of these creatures, just like totally random ones with random brains and random bodies, and you throw them in the ocean, most of them will just kind of flail around and not going anywhere, but a few will probably get a little bit. And if you uh, let the ones that move the furthest have the most children, then after enough generations, you will actually have like creatures that can actually swim. Then it's Empires of the Undergrowth, which is an ant colony management game, which is very much in the spirit of Dungeon Keeper, a game from our childhood. A lot of the facts in the game that we deliver through the game, you can't find them on Wikipedia. They're in French journals that we've translated. And our reporter, Alex the Roach Rhodes. Wow. Yes. wow. Uh, he's really? Playing, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's going to play Beetle Uprising, where you control an army of beetles and you try and take over an abandoned lot. It's a bit like Rome Total War, but with beetles. Ah, oh, there we go. There's an enemy. Another enemy beetle, I think. Get him, lads. Go on. There we go. No, no chance. Absolutely minced him there. I sense there's definitely an insect theme here. Well, also, when you're fixing problems in a game, like you're coding, it's called squashing bugs. So I'm sure that they'll love that. Wow. So let's start off with the game that's literally just come out. It's called Ecosystem. And basically, it simulates a realistic underwater world which walks the border between science and entertainment. So you put these creatures in the water and the more successful they are at surviving, the more that they reproduce. So if they're good swimmers, for example, then those traits get passed down to the next generation. Mm, Sounds like evolution. It certainly is. The diversity of life on Earth is staggering. We share the planet with tens of millions of creatures, all with different sizes, shapes, and ways of life. Ecosystem translates organic life and all its detail into a digital medium. It's a world of real animals living in software. Instead of playing a pre-made animation, creatures swim bound by the laws of physics. They apply torque at their joints to push against the water and propel themselves forward. They coordinate this movement using simulated brains. 
Data from their eyes and other senses flows down through a network of neurons that reaches into every limb in their body. They pursue their own goals, driven by their instincts, in a shared environment where they swim, graze, have children, and prey on each other. And as in our world, the infinite varieties of life are the fruit of evolution. The fittest creatures pass on their genes to the next generation, and over time, a world of strange and unique creatures is born. The steward of this world is you. Place plants and build caves and reefs. Design an environment that fulfills each species' nutritional needs. Adjust the shape of creatures' bodies and how they swim. Decide where their hunting grounds are and how they migrate over their lives. Everything is part of a system, and every system is a balance. The richness of life is in your hands. Join us in ecosystem. Well, Chris has been speaking to the man behind ecosystem, Tom Johnson. The game was kind of inspired by some research that was done、um, in the '90s at MIT by a guy named Carl Sims,、uh, and and he was sort of working with、uh, virtual evolution. So he, the the idea is that you kind of have、uh, these these creatures that are actually a bunch of boxes jointed together, basically,、uh, and they have、uh, virtual brains that are basically pipeline computers. So they take in like visual input, auditory input, stuff like that. They do a bunch of processes, and then as an output, they apply torques at the, all their various joints. So they kind of move around just like we do.、Um, So, unlike a normal game,、uh, the creatures aren't necessarily playing like a an animation that like an artist made. They're actually like contracting joints at each joint that they have. And so the idea is that if you take a bunch of these creatures, just like totally random ones with random brains and random bodies, and you throw them in the ocean, most of them will just kind of flail around, right? They'll just kind of like be be moving their hands and arms or or their limbs、uh, and and not going anywhere. But a few will probably get a little bit. And if you、uh, let the ones that move the furthest have the most children, then after enough generations, you will actually have like creatures that can actually swim. So in that sense, it's like a, a true evolution game because the physiology is driven by the function. And so the premise of the game is basically that you kind of shape this environment, and then、uh, you sort of throw in these creatures, and they adapt to all the different like niches that you create. Is that process of chucking the creatures in random, or do you have any say as to how they begin? Can you say I'm going to put in a creature which is sort of vaguely adapted to this environment? So right now it's totally random, but that is something that I was、um, that I'm, I'm going to be looking into adding in because I think it's something that people would enjoy is the ability to kind of like. To have a sort of constrained evolution, how do you model something like that? Because I know that there are existing models for evolution, but how did you actually design that into a game context? Because that strikes me as probably the most difficult thing. Yeah, it it, it took a lot of work,、um, and and in fact, when I first started, it, it would actually take a, a full day just to get an evolution, just to get a creature that could kind of swim. It was a very sort of experimental process because it doesn't map quite cleanly to. To an existing game, there's not like some、uh, well-established tradition that I could kind of follow and, and copy, you know. So to some extent, there, there's a big element of creativity to it that you kind of have this fish tank, except that the fish are morphing to to your tank. What are some of the other factors that you know are at play here? There's a couple other other ones.、Um, one that I did recently was like a creature vision system. So in addition to like their their just physical body shape.、Um, 
their skin coloration and pattern and stuff like that also evolves um, and is sort of like encoded in their DNA. And so when creatures are preying on each other, um, they have to they, they have a vision simulation. So, so in order to actually see a creature, if it's green against a green background, it's, it's harder to make that out. Like the better, the better it fits to that, the harder that creature is to see. Because for example, a bunch of foragers that have no predators anywhere don't actually really need camouflage. Um, and so they may end up more like the you know birds of paradise, right? Like the the classic ones with the incredibly ornate because it, it's better for mating, right? If you have like the best shiniest, whereas if there's you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of huge sharks swimming around looking for you, then suddenly you don't want to be the most ornate, beautiful purple fish, but you want to be the one that looks just like the dirt. I'm presuming that if you were to, in real life, create an environment that exactly the same thing wouldn't happen every time. Like, you know, you might suddenly find that actually, you know, some creatures with shiny wings or whatever would start to become very prominent. Uh, But then if you ran it again in real life, you might find that actually camouflage became the, the way to go just for no reason, just because that's sometimes what happens with evolution. Does that happen in the game as well? Or is it very much if you were to chuck the same thing in the same environment, it happens the same way? Uh, there's quite a bit of variation. So, so I, would, I would say very much is the case that uh, because of randomness, uh, just, just because of random features and even how creatures are reacting to, because part of their environment is the other creatures in a sense, um, there's a decent chance, at least if you, if you set the, the pressures just right, that you know, you, you could probably get uh, camouflage to statistically occur more frequently, you know. Um, you, you probably, it, it's, it might be somewhat difficult to just flat out guarantee it, but I think that's probably also part of the, um, one of the main uh, goals for the game was that I wanted to sort of make sure that it could actually reproduce the, as much as I could, like the amount of variety that you see in life. So, so I think I would have been a little disappointed if like, you always got the same handful of things. Um, and for that reason, they, they often tend to come out looking like little monsters, sort of. Um, so so it's, it, it can sometimes be a challenge to get like a fish fish, to, a fish that actually looks like a fish. You, you get a lot of very alien looking things. Um, but there's probably a decent chance that if you, if you threw some microbes into the ocean in Earth, you may not necessarily get fish again you know you might not get things that look exactly like the, the fish that we're used to some of the things you find under the sea you can believe that, that you know if you look at a jellyfish compared to a fish they're both some of them are living in the same environment and then you've got sharks and whales and okay so they're fins and things like that but some of the things that are in the water do look like monsters so i can believe it yeah yeah very much so and and a lot of like like descriptions of like corals and stuff are are so alien in and of themselves like that you could you know throw a sea sponge into a blender and it would come out and make a bunch more sea sponges is just a fundamentally very alien seeming concept right can we um learn anything from these kind of games and simulations because it's interesting that when you say you know it wouldn't necessarily look like the fish that you might expect maybe that that would make someone like me go initially that sounds strange but then i immediately thought oh no i have seen creatures like that is there a way of maybe teaching people that there is a huge variety of life out there and and this is one of the the ways that it really happened yeah um i I think so and and i think in some ways it's one of the maybe one of the better ways to learn is is, you know a game like say like something like city skylines you can kind of learn a lot about like traffic management from that even though it doesn't really set out to be an educational game, and it's not really supposed to be. To, to some extent, any game is kind of learning a system, you, you know? Um, and, and, and in that sense, this is a, 
a, a way to learn about evolution as a system. Um, so, so it's kind of like the the evolution is. It's. I think it's a pretty accurate simulation of evolution as it were to occur in kind of like a toy box. Uh, sort of simplified environment. It sounds like um, a lot of fun and something that you could sort of lose days and days to, which I'm guessing is what you really hope that people will just get so engrossed in the game. I've got to ask you, given that you started off in the water uh, and a lot of people think, you know, life kind of migrated out of the ocean to the land, does that mean that your your sequel has to be land-based? Just just for that? Maybe. Um, the... Uh... <laughs> The the original research, uh, I, th- I think he was working on like supercomputers, you know, back back in the nineties, and we've now got to the point where you can run that on a desktop, basically, uh, and and so and so possibly, uh, you know, maybe in another another decade or so, we'll have something that that now you would need a supercomputer for, but in in ten years you can have uh, creatures walking around on the land and and uh, climbing trees and stuff. That was Tom Johnson, developer of Ecosystem, which has just been released. It's around £16 on Steam and there's also a demo available. Search for Ecosystem Game and it's the first thing that comes up. Stop kidding around, Snake. This is the Naked Gaming Podcast with Chris Barrow and Lee Milner. Now, next up in our Slug Disco special, we're going to check out Empires of the Undergrowth. So just think Dungeon Keeper, but with ants and beetles. Ants. They're organised. Industrious. And hungry. But in the undergrowth, there's no such thing as a free lunch. In the end, only one colony will secure victory over the outworld and take its place amongst the great empires of the undergrowth. Now, Chris has been speaking to the team behind Empires of the Undergrowth. Everyone on the team works together on programming and game design, but they each have their own specialties. Liam Comerford writes the music, Matt Kent is the artist, and John Connor has a knack for coming up with new level ideas. They also asked us to mention Michael Connor and Dan Postlethwaite, who aren't joining us today but look after the game's community and marketing. The early prototypes were very much like Dungeon Keeper but with ants, and for a while we were really playing with the idea of keeping it all underground with ants. Very quickly... Um, we came, it became clear to us that we'd have to open the ants up to above ground for the game to make any sense in this yeah. world. Uh, that added a whole, quite literally a whole dimension to the game, made it a lot more difficult for us to deal with how the game would play, and led to many years of iterations and prototyping. Um, with the underground look and feel, I know ants don't use hexagons in their nest construction normally, of course bees do, and, and other similar, uh, like wasps sort of hex- yeah. have hexagonal shaped nests, uh, cells. Uh, we wanted to really take that nature-inspired geometry and then move that into the into the game as well. So that's where that came from. When we were keeping it underground, um, Liam did, made a presentation one day uh, telling us we should make, keep the game really simple for our <laughs> first game um, and uh, not, not do anything too, too exciting and extreme. And then a few weeks later... Liam really pushed for the idea of making the whole overground and whole more complex movement <laughs> um, like systems and everything. 
initially the driving force for keeping it simple, yeah. then the driving force for making it complicated. <laughs> but I think that the, I'm glad that actually that you did push for the above ground because when you um, check out the video of it and the trailers and stuff, the underground, it, you, you immediately are drawn in because you th- the first thing I thought was Dungeon Keeper. This is amazing. It's got ants. If you have any kind of love of insects and bugs, which so many kids do, you're going to immediately want to play this. But then there's this really cool moment where you see some of the above ground kind of gameplay um, and, you know, the different character models essentially that are that are at play there and it starts to kind of feel like a, a huge world can i ask you about the above ground element of it because did that add on a whole a whole crazy layer of kind of complexity because you don't have the walls that kind of keep everything in like you would in dungeon keeper the overground's very different the so the underground a lot of what you're doing is digging um, and, and you're digging out your base, and the way that you move your ants about is quite s- simple. You use pheromone markers, we call them, and they're, they're like it's like a call to arms point. You place it down, and the ants move towards it. Um, underground, that that gave you lots of options for s- sort of strategic play. You could you could dig how you wanted and make tunnels and different things. Overground, you can't you can't dig, and you you've just got to deal with the the terrain as it is, and you also can't make complicated movement commands you can only like go say go to there so they all all the ants will come out of the of the nest and go to where you want them to go so it's actually really quite simple as a control system it's easy to get used to it's a lot it's a lot easier than um um, a traditional real-time strategy game but it's quite difficult for us uh one to make the the ants do what what you want them to do because you you put the marker down and you have as a player you have a feeling of what you want to happen but you're not actually controlling it so if they do something else it's really annoying so there's a lot of work to get in the background to get that right and also from a level design perspective because the control system is so simple and it's quite restrictive you have to be really creative with uh you know what what sort of level scenarios are happening to to make it interesting whereas with with a real-time strategy you could have the same map and the same uh, starting points and it could be incredibly different each time Um, whereas we have to think a lot more about the 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 level and and the terrain and and what's going to spawn from which direction to to make it interesting each time so if you're playing with ants and stuff i know that there's like a queen that is is sort of the one of the starting off points. So is the player the queen then making all these commands? With is that how it works, or like, or is the player like like more like a dungeon keeper kind of overall god who's sort of in control of everything like that? Well, I mean, I would I would think of your colony as one entity rather than thinking of um, the individual ants of individual entities, like a hive mind um, kind of the, thing. More, yeah. I mean, a queen isn't really. Um, in control of a colony, I know. I know they've, she's got a very regal title, but <laughs> she, she just sits there and produces eggs. She's probably the. She's probably got the worst deal in the whole colony. It's funny you say about the hive mind as well. Um, there's there's a type of um, ant. Um, it's the uh, Essiton Berkeley, is it or Berchelli? How do you pronounce that, Matt? I always say Berchelli, but uh, maybe it's Berchelli. Essiton Berchelli, yeah. Uh, it's a it's an army ant um, in the Amazon, and they're nomadic, and the the colony forms a huge mass every night. They all come together, and the queen's inside this mass that's made made of ants. And then, whilst they're connected, they make the the, the whole mass like a brain makes the decision of where it's going to go the next day ah. based on like information that's coming in and out from the from the trails. 
and you can imagine like individual brain cells communicating uh, are actually the ants that are all locked in together with their antenna touching each other yeah yeah um, and you you actually have you know if you include all the sort of the mass in the individual ants brains you have the same amount of brain mass as a human so it's it's quite it's quite a sci-fi idea and it's actually it's actually real is there a true simulation aspect of this like in terms of how accurate the game is like could you play the game and then look at a real life ant colony and see some of the crossover in behaviors of what's going on i know obviously the difference would be that you're controlling it in the game compared to the colony but would you at least recognize the way that perhaps the ants swarm in some way or the, some of the, the maybe some of the more aggressive behaviors that they have is there that much crossover with kind of reality Early on in the game, we, we did some simulations uh, with um, how eggs would be produced by the queen and how they'd be distributed. Um, and we've, we started actually more realistic uh, with those systems, trying to simulate an ant colony, and it's become more gamified uh, as time's gone on because it's just... Um, it's not tactile. It doesn't feel right as a player, and it's not easy to control because in, in a real ant colony, if... if uh, something happens there's some lack of food or or, or some group of ants have, have been lost the the effect of that can actually be most significant um in, in game time it would be 10 minutes later in real time it might be a few days later but it's still far too much for the player to like the player might be losing and, and not even know why because of something that happened so long ago and there's this divergent uh effect going on so yeah a lot of it's gamified and now a lot of what we do to make it realistic, I suppose, is Matt's area, the, the art artwork, and then and then really t- to make the ants look like they're doing realistic things, the, the sort of way they walk around. Well, tell us about the artwork, because I, I wrote down, actually, that an ant is probably one of the harder models, I would imagine, to actually start to animate. And then once you're start, starting to make them look quite realistic and they might have, you know, different skins or whatever, does it start to become a bit of a, a minefield when you're trying to, you know, make these ants look distinctive because they're so small in real life? Yeah, so I'm relying, of course, on a lot of photographic evidence that I find online. There's some prominent photo- photographers uh, who have to refer to their work to get really close-up pictures, of course, trying to get all the details. On the one hand, it's a blessing because these things are real and I don't have to put any artistic license into it. I'm just copying what I see in nature effectively a lot of the time. That makes it makes my job quite a bit easier. Um, there are challenges here and there. Of course, there are a lot of the ants, when it comes to the movements they make, I can't see a video of them attacking in the way we make them attack in the game. They do gamey things that they wouldn't really do in real life, let alone there'd be a video of. Um, and sometimes that's that's a bit hard to... to I have to make an animation that suits a game in that case. And and suits what John's decided the uh, the creature's going to do. Right, yeah. You, Matt, Matt will get a list of moves that John wants the creature to have and it'll say something like swipe attack, massive tail bash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow, there are no videos of that available, so here we go. <laughs> I have to use all my imagination though. Yeah. And uh, it works out. I know that obviously you know people keep saying we're living in strange times but i can imagine that uh working during the challenges of coronavirus might have made things more difficult for you or perhaps more easy because you found a new way of doing things like how's it been for you to to kind of develop a game and get to this point now uh with all the the craziness of of the world going on around you like have have you found it uh difficult or or did you learn new ways of doing things that perhaps you didn't realize you even were able to do 
since about 2014 i think we've all been working on this from separate places um and when 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 lockdown started last year i think um we we were all we were all in different places and we were all working from home anyway the I, the big difference was um, myself and matt we were working in in co-working spaces because it was nice to have that sort of home and office um, difference but we don't actually have a studio or a building or anywhere we go to every day so it wasn't that big a difference the biggest thing that bothered me was that we've been having meetings in person once or twice a year where we we, we stay together for the best part of a week and we we sort of hammer out a lot of the long-term ideas for the game and, and we come up with uh, some good stuff um, when we're stuck together like that and we, haven't, <laughs> yeah. we haven't been able to do it for a while so I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, restrictions being lifted and sort of booking a trip so we can all uh, yeah. plan out the next update <laughs> I, th- I think games during this time as well have provided such a, a good escape for people particularly like uh, nature games such as ours or ones that happen in nature um, the th- it allows you it allows you to get out of your house without going anywhere in a way no i think it's been a lifeline for so many people um and especially if there's any kind of educational aspect as well because a lot of ho- homeschooling going on at the moment so mm. just finally tell me about um uh, release dates and updates then you mentioned that you know updates sound like they're coming and not just one or two fire ants things like that uh what does the future look like then tell us all about it Future looks like fire ants, definitely. <laughs> Got that right. Um, at the moment, we're we're really heavy in in sort of development of of the of the fire ant content. So what what we've been doing with the game is releasing big mega updates. It's in early access at the moment. It has been for a while. Um, the game works perfectly. Uh, the early access updates are a big content updates. So levels and uh, you know new areas, new ants. Um, so the next one is fire ants we've been working for a long time on a lot of the systems to support that like fire ants can make uh, they float on water and, ah. and their, their bodies connect so they make these little bridges and we've had to put that in the game and we've got some new systems where um, you can fight really large creatures and the ants will climb onto the creature which is which is a new thing for us and and that's that's had a lot of testing whilst it's not looked like much has been going on on the outside but that's mostly all complete now and we're putting these levels together so we don't have a date for fire ants yet but we're we're hoping as soon as possible we we've been we've we've uh, stung ourselves too many times saying when things are going to be ready so i'm not even going to make uh, a pessimistic <laughs> estimate i'm just going to leave it at that Thanks to Liam Comerford, Matt Kent and John Connor. And you can get hold of Empires of the Undergrowth now for £16 on Steam. Just search for Empires of the Undergrowth and it will show up. Power up. One more game to look at now as part of our Naked Gaming Podcast developer special on the games that Slug Disco have published. And it's Beetle Uprising. Now I need you to do your trailer each time. <clears throat> well, come on, here we go. Okay. This is your edition. Hang on, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> come on, you can okay. do it. Ready? Collect, raise, and breed an army of beetles to rise up and lay claim to the abandoned lot. That's quite a theatrical. The game features a... You put me off now. The game features a complex genetic simulation and real-time tactics, missions with a full campaign. It was pretty good, but uh, here's the actual trailer. 
When your pincers are feeble. This is Krangan, daughter of Helg and Bezar. She was bred for extreme quickness and veracity. And your carapace weak. By selecting the optimal genetic makeup of these armored tank beetles, we can produce a new breed with unparalleled resistance. Sometimes, natural selection needs a helping hand. Strength, regeneration, perception. Each attribute has its purpose. Each gene is precious. But it's not all hard work. Every now and then, a beetle just needs to relax. Until it's ready to fight again. Our reporter, Alex, the fifth Beetle Rhodes, took Beetle Uprising out for a spin. Hello, Chris and Lee. It's Alex here. Uh, I'm playing Beetle Uprising today, which was published by Slug Disco, but it was uh, developed by Iocane Games. Uh, basically, it's like a real ter- real-time strategy sort of game where you breed your sort of army of beetles and then take on the world. Let's give it a go then, shall we? Ooh. Tell you what, I did not think this would start with a cutscene. Long and far did the matriarch travel. Okay, we've got a massive big beetle here. To find us a new home. She fought for our future, and it gave her courage. All enemies attacking her. Wave after wave of enemy fell before her. And when the enemy committed all to the battle, so did she. Oh, she's blown up. (laughs) So did she. And with her, she's blown up and taken out all the other beetles. And with her passing, we rise and take our place in this world. Wow. That is a dramatic start to a Beetle game. So she basically did all she could uh, to make sure that the Beatles survived, sort of like the anti-Yoko Ono, I guess. All right, okay, here we go. Uh, your goal is to conquer this beautiful land and lot. Uh, uh, RTS battles with breeding is a big part of it. Weak Beetles to start with, but you'll get better ones as you go along. Uh, there's all sorts of tips and tricks, but sometimes you just need better Beatles. Okay, so there you go. Uh, the The breeding element is supposed to be a big part of this um, is what I've seen in all the other reviews that I've read uh, that, you know, it's actually very in-depth as well. OK, so here we go. Uh, so beetles need items placed in their nest to thrive. Click this button. OK, so we've got a bunch of items I can put down in the nest. It's kind of like a small little cave. I've got my two beetles wandering around. Oh, they're sleeping on a pile of leaves at the moment. Oh, they're actually they're actually quite cute, you know, for a game about bugs. That's a bit of an accomplishment. Oh, they've got names. Um, uh, Yugaki, Yugaki, yeah, and uh, Galpup. Uh, Can I rename them? Yes, okay. Let's go with Lennon and McCartney. There we go. Very original. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure, because they're the only two here, I'm going to have to breed them together at some point, but, you know, (laughs) they both lived through the 60s. Those tours were long, you know. Who knows what they got up to? In fact, let's get to it. You know, let's um, start breeding. All you need is love, after all. Right. Okay. The time's paused while I do this. And, uh, right. So click them and press the big old breed button in the middle. Oh, so I've got nine. Oh no, no. Uh, the, the, these are nine possible ones, and then basically you just pick the one you want. Uh, whoa, lots of stats already. Uh, as I say. Um, you know, the reviews say that the breeding is a big part of this, and that is basically the way you beat the game, by having the best bred beetles. I don't know what all these numbers mean yet. 
but this one doesn't have any ready uh, any sort of red numbers, so that can only be a good thing. Let's go with him. There we go. Say hello to Cal Mel, the new Beetle. Right, okay, let's change him as well. Ringo, of course. Is he the best drummer in the world? He's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. There you go. Oh, he's only little. Uh, Lennon and McCartney are doing sort of a little dance in the corner now. Uh, they're probably having a massive row. Ooh, uh, I'm sort of out of stuff to put down. I've put a few bits and pieces down, but like bread and things for them to eat. And uh, But I haven't got any more. So let's send someone out. Where's the... Oh, yeah, the map there. All right, here we go. Oh, wow, bum and neck. There's a lot of places you can go. There's a lot of levels. Most of them are greyed out, but this one isn't. Okay, so we'll just start on the first one here. Right, okay, so this is like a combat mission. Oh, right, okay, so you don't send everyone out at once. You pick one, and then you clone them, and that makes your kind of swarm. So the selected beetle will be used to create a swarm, but it will take some time to recover afterwards. Okay, okay. Oh, okay, so to make more of the clones, you use goop, which is sort of like the in-game currency, I guess. Um, let's use all of it. Let's just use 100. That makes 25 beetles. Not a bad amount. Okay. So let's pick Lennon and clone him. you got to be careful. If it goes wrong, you end up with uh, Liam Gallagher, don't you? <laughs> you can't have 25 of them. Blum and neck. You can't even have two Gallaghers in a room without it all kicking off. Okay. Right. Here we go. Here they all are. All 25 of them. So you just click and then they go where you marked... Ah, oh, there we go. There's an enemy. Another enemy beetle, I think. Get him, lads. Go on. There we go. No, no chance. Absolutely minced him there. Oh, there's another. There's another. Hang on. There we go. Got yeah. I like this game. I like What I really like is the sort of daft bug revenge tale at the start. It looks nice. Uh, the bugs are actually quite cute, as I said. I said it's nice because it's, it's that sort of creativity you get with smaller, smaller developers and like publishers. Try and set a bit different rather than just, you know, chasing the trend and sticking out another Fortnite clone. <laughs> it won't be for everyone. Um, you know, you might hate bugs, so it's not going to be for you. Uh, but if you like sort of, uh, you know, RTS games and, you know, min-maxing stats, if that sort of scratch, it'll scratch that itch if you, if you like sort of min-maxing. You might end up playing um, eight days a week. There you go. That's the best I can do. Uh, I can't think of one involving a yellow submarine. Sorry. Well, thanks, uh, Alex. And Beetle Uprising is out now. It's about £7 on Steam. That's it for this special edition of the Naked Gaming Podcast. You can subscribe to us. Just look for at Naked Gaming Pod everywhere, iTunes, Spotify, etc. You can also check out Slug Disco online for all their latest updates for their games. And if you're a developer and you'd like us to check out your games, let us know at Naked Gaming Pod. Thanks again to our friends at Slug Disco, and we'll see you next time on the Naked Gaming Podcast. Peace out. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.